everyone. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again this week. It's Friday, April the 16th. So Brent, I learned this yesterday at a presentation. April 15th, of course, is memorable for most of us because of taxes. But apparently Abraham Lincoln was shot on April the 15th and the Titanic sunk on April the 15th. And Leonardo da Vinci was born on April the 15th. So April the 15th has a, a lot of important things going on. I guess that's and that's probably true for every date if you dug deep enough into the history books. But the Titanic, I didn't realize, was in April. Yeah, I didn't know any of those, actually. <laughs> so great to be back with you this week. I'm going to start off with a couple new Forecast Network questions we've posed. I'm going to flip this on for those of you who are watching on YouTube. We'll share for those listening on the podcast. But you know, a lot of conversations about how many acres of combined corn and soybeans are going to get planted. The market conversation is like, that's almost a guaranteed lock. So we wrote an article that really looked at, we've looked at several articles, but the one we most recently looked at is, what is the change between March and final? And the question we've posed is, what is the probability of the U.S. planting more than 181 million combined acres per that June acreage report. That's not the final number, but that's that big one that we're looking at next. There'd be about a 2.3 million acre increase from where we are today. I put my forecast in at 39%. The consensus is up closer to 70%. So I probably need to recalibrate my thinking a little bit. Brent, you shared offline a little bit that you'd have a pretty high forecast for this as well. I think I'm a, a little bit lower than the consensus even then, but definitely higher than you are. And of course, it's playing a little bit to my bias, which I, I was biased all along that both those numbers would be higher than 91 million acres, and I was wrong. So I'm probably just doubling down on something's wrong. I mean, I think your article is interesting to look back and just apply some data to it, not so much as what we want it to be or what we think it should be as to what it is. Take a look at that article that David wrote. You'll find it interesting. This topic, it just amazes me how much people are talking about it and how obsessed some people are, are with it. I, I don't know. I mean, we're just trying to do some stuff that's like try to make it less emotional because honestly, I think the whole thing has gotten emotional on some people's part. And the thing I want to remind folks that we found in the article that I wrote, I guess I, I knew this beforehand, but pulled it out in this article as well. Prevented planting is heavy-handed. So if someone says acreage is going to go up from here, and I've seen a lot of bold statements that way, one, you had to really challenge someone with that. It's like, well, what are you thinking about for prevented planting? Because if you are saying it's going to go up from here, uh, you you're making a pretty big guess as to where prevented planting is going to come, either below normal or above normal. It's probably a little early to be forecasting that. And then you get to the question about, are they saying it's going to go up assuming preventive planning is normal, right? Which no one's qualifying that statement to that degree. But this is all to say there's a lot of vague statements being made that are kind of, to use a statement we used last week, are mind-locking us a little bit into this conclusion where the conclusion is could be some element of producers changing their mind, some element of error in the USDA's process. And then a major element is mother nature. And maybe close to half of it is mother nature on average, right? Mother nature has a pretty big influence here with going above or below normal. I think we also think preventive planning only goes down, but preventive planning can actually increase. So this is to say the USDA could be 100% accurate, but if preventive planting in their surveys and producers won't change their minds, 
But prevented planting could move the needle here or the other way around, right? Prevented planting could be unchanged, but people could change their mind or there could be errors. So a lot of moving pieces here and a lot of that's not being captured by the general discussion. I think that's one of the really important points is that the preventive planning is ultimately going to be a big driver of whatever happens in terms of total acreage. So that's probably what you want to try and gather your information around is to think about whether that's going to be above or below normal. And I think it's way, 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 way too early to be forecasting it. Go put your forecast in, update your acreage forecast for those June acreage report. That's our next big milestone there. The second question, Brent, is sort of a, <laughs> an update from last year. What's the probability of China buying more than $35 billion in ag, U.S. ag products? And we asked that question a year ago before the phase one trade agreement. They came in at $28 billion, which was a long ways improved from the trade war, but pretty much on par with pre-trade war expectations. We've got two months of data for 2021 in this new question. You can share your expectations. I may be a little optimistic here. My forecast is 70%. It's interesting because the first two months of the year were, were really going gangbusters for China. In fact, the consensus is a little bit above me. It's interesting because China's, we're really focusing on the corn and soybean side, where China's buying a lot of corn and soybeans. But we've sort of moved past this conversation about total purchases of China. And it looks like we could be in in line for maybe some big purchases here in 2021. It looks like the pace is uh, off and running. And again, it's, it's more the, to me, the big thing is that the trade is finally resumed and doing well after a couple of just atrocious years. And uh, now that we're, we're out of that funk, I think, are uh, out of the trade war problems. It's just the situation is a lot better for agriculture and uh, U.S. agriculture in particular. And you're seeing that in the prices. So the one thing that came up as I was digging the data a little too deep, maybe, is they purchased about $6 billion in goods, ag goods, in January and February combined. That's the biggest number since 2014. But for a comparison point, China didn't purchase that amount of quantity until June of last year. And so that tells us a lot about the seasonality, right? So there's a lot of seasonality that's going to come into play later in this year. Big piece of the soybean puzzle doesn't get put together until the end of the calendar year. Last thing that I had, and Brent, I'll let you jump in on this and share anything that you have on your mind, but Jay Powell did a kind of rare TV interview with 60 Minutes. I got through most of that earlier. We're going to share a link. It's about a 13-minute clip. So I encourage you all to, to listen to that. Jay Powell doesn't give a whole lot of interviews. This position, this Fed chairperson doesn't give a whole lot of interviews. So when they do, it's always interesting to really get to the nuances. A couple things stood out to me. One, he said the economy has done way better than they initially feared. And so it kind of makes you wonder what they were looking at as a range of scenarios a year ago when they were cutting interest rates and they were making some pretty aggressive moves. So it makes you wonder what they were thinking about. The other thing is, is this idea of, is the economy recovering or is it in a boom? It was interesting to hear the interviewer ask this question because it kind of the range of possible outcomes, it seems to be we're either entering the recovery or we're entering maybe a boom, which is a very different, another way of saying things that we've talked about before, right? The range of possible outcomes are not sort of, is the economy still stalled? It's the, is the economy in the recovery phase or is it in a boom phase, which is a, an entire shift of the range of possible outcomes. 
the third point that jumped out to me was he was talking about the recent challenges with that hedge fund uh, Archigo that uh, I think lost $25 billion in just a very short period of time. He was talking about how they're looking at that, how this situation unfolded. It resulted in losses for some of these big banks. And so, again, I always try to listen to interviews that he provides because especially after the fact, they always sort of tell you how bad it was when they were six or 12 months later, right? We didn't really hear how much concern that was. But he talked about there's an inflection point in the economy, the combination of stimulus and the vaccine and everything was starting to turn around. I wouldn't say he was upbeat and optimistic, but I think his tone has shifted just from a few months ago. So I encourage you to take a listen to that. The whole discussion on the economy has certainly shifted dramatically in the last few months. Like we talked about last time, we thought last year that we would see the impacts of the supply shock last year uh, as the pandemic hit. The fascinating thing to me is it's hitting, but it's took a year for it to hit. Prices are really going higher, and I think there's a lot of evidence when you just go out to buy stuff that prices are higher than they have been for a while. And the Fed, it can be very interesting. You know, they keep talking about whether this is a transitory price change or, or not. And they're going to have some hard, hard decisions, I think, in their plates in the coming years. And one of the points that came up in this interview and something that readers have emailed us about a little bit is the economy, broadly speaking, is getting some steam behind it. It's getting uh, moving the right direction. But the analogy the interviewer used was a lot of scenarios where the bit one business is closed down and shuttered and the business next to it has a help wanted sign out. And this idea of how some parts of the economy are doing really, really strong and some are still struggling in a lot of ways. And I think that's another issue that the Fed and the policymakers are going to, you're going to hear a lot of talk about that is how do we deal with an economy that's not maybe moving, right? The rising tide isn't lifting all the ships uniformly. There's sort of a wave going through the, the harbor impacting things a little bit differently. I don't know why I'm thinking about this today, but uh, how fast these dialogues change is really, really interesting. And, and it's just like an even in agriculture today, the dialogue, something we, nobody was talking about or very rarely being talked about a year ago, carbon credits and things like this were just not really being discussed much outside of the people who always discuss such things. People are involved in, in those industries. Now it's on everybody's mind. And I just find it interesting how quickly these dialogues and sentiments can change. And also how they quickly they disappear, right? how many hemp conferences are we going to have this year? Um, (laughs) So hemp kind of is on the other side of that cycle. I don't even remember what year the hemp phase got its start, but I think hemp is still a much... Probably two years ago, right? Yeah, probably about two years ago. It seemed like it was around the the year after the trade war started, right? So the trade war was in June. So it seemed like maybe late 18, early 19, this was really kicking up. I might be off by a year, but... (laughs) I haven't looked at the data. Jeff Young, who helps us a lot, he sort of follows that a little bit closer. We should probably ask Jeff. But it's probably more hemp acres grown today than there were 10 years ago, probably a lot fewer than there were two years ago. But the industry is probably still growing. It's just at a little different a little different phase a little bit. So alternative meats is still a huge issue. But that's something we were all talking about 14 months ago. And it sort of went to the back burner a little bit. Carbon is sort of the thing we're all on. Topic everyone's of mind. the day. Yeah. Topic of the day. Yeah. So always interesting to have that. And it's it's not just the the stuff that we consume, but it's the way our thinking is too, right? We get excited about something and it 
lasts for a little bit and we move on to something else. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll uh, catch you again later. Brent, good luck with corn planting. I know that's coming up soon for you as soon as you get the snow shoveled off your your driveway to get to the corn planter, but we'll uh, catch up with you all soon. In the meantime, stay curious. Yep. It is snowing here today, so pretty wild. (laughs) I'll keep the sun here in Indiana. You can keep the snow. (laughs) That's called moisture out there for you, though, right? Yeah, 90 90 degrees on Easter and snowing today, so... We've been uh, in the in the middle, so seventy is a good average for me. Yeah, so. that'd be all right. <laughs> be all right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody.